Marcheseau slides it around the rim. He's got Eichel, top of the left circle, closing in. He shoots, he scores! Jack Eichel, power play goal! Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Locke looks up, taps it back to Donov in the middle, he shoots, he scores! Jubilation! Vegas in overtime! Chevrolet, Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios, and live at LVSportsNetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. There's going to be a lot of talk around the Stanley Cup final about the different matchups and comparisons between the two teams, the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning, but one of the more intriguing conversations revolves around the head coaches, two guys that won't even score a goal in this series. But the way that they've come to be in a Stanley Cup final has been a long journey for both guys. An unexpected, non-traditional journey uh, for both John Cooper and Jared Bednar. Uh, Welcome into the VGK Insider Show. Darren Millard, Ryan Wallace, and Chris Chapman. We also want to tell you about uh, the starting goaltender for the Colorado Avalanche. They haven't played when they suit up on Wednesday night for eight days. So rust is going to be a factor. We watched that firsthand have an impact on the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Series against the New York Rangers. Uh, The guy that uh, is going to take over in goal uh, for the start of the Stanley Cup Final is going to be leaned on big time for the Colorado Avalanche. Let's start there. And then we'll get into uh, a couple of other things that uh, will have uh, a pivotal impact on the Stanley Cup Championship Series. You have Pavel Francouz and Darcy Kemper. Uh, Two goaltenders have both uh, appeared in the Stanley Cup postseason for the Colorado Avalanche because Kemper has been in and out of the lineup. Francouz was the guy that, uh, that took over in the third round and dispatched the Edmonton Oilers when Colorado could have been vulnerable with their backup going in. Pavel is the most recent guy to play, but Darcy Kemper mm-hmm. is the number one guy. Who would you start before I give my much-researched explanation about the starting <laughs> goaltender per Mallard? Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm inclined honestly, to say that it should be Darcy Kemper. Like, you're in the Stanley Cup final. He's your number one goaltender. Uh, He's been your number one goalie all year long. When he's been good, he's been great. And this is the most important series you're going to play all year. You want to start with your best possible lineup. However, the only wrinkle, the only caveat that I'm going to add to this is the fact that there hasn't really been a starter named or announced. The fact that the Avalanche are playing coy makes me feel like it's maybe Pavel Francouz getting the nod game number one. I wouldn't do it that way. I'd go Darcy Kemper. You want your best in there for all seven games if that's what it comes down to. Yeah, it makes sense that you would go with your number one guy in the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup final. If not for the eight days between games. And that's the thing that makes me wonder whether or not you should go with the backup. 
Uh, I think that you're going to have a, a sluggish, a rusty start for the Colorado Avalanche. If you are mm-hmm. going to be uh, put in a situation where the team is going to be on its heels, and they probably will be, uh, I'm guessing that, uh, given where how fresh Tampa is, uh, with a little bit of rest, which is the best-case scenario, uh, and and the Colorado Avalanche being basically on vacation for a week, one of the longest layoffs you could ever have in a Stanley Cup postseason, then why not put your backup in? See if see if Pavel Francouz can can handle it, and if he can't, then you come back with Darcy Kemper. You've got that in your back pocket. I'm not saying you're throwing him to the to the wolves in Pavel, mm-hmm. but a, a couple of wild dogs would be in the same conversation. Wolves would be the extreme. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. next step down, that that's where, where I'm at here. And then be able to counter, and this this is the, the interesting part about my plan. Pavel plays game one. Win or lose, barring mm-hmm. a 65-save shutout, I'm coming back with Darcy Kemper in game two no matter what. So I, I like the idea of that. I, I do, but Darcy Kemper hasn't played in an even larger chunk of time. So the the rust I get, the the fact that the entire Colorado team's going to be rusty, sure. What is it going to take them? A period, period and a half to get their legs to kind of get their intensity back up to where it needs to be. Took Tampa if there's two any games. team I I eh, I don't I mean, I I don't know that it necessarily took Tampa two games like they they pushed there at the end of the game at at end of game 1. Um I I don't know that it's going to take Colorado a whole heck of a lot of time to get themselves into the series. And even if it takes them a while, this is still a team that can score seemingly at will. And I, I know it's Andre Vasilevsky, I do. But when you have Kale McCarr and you've got Nathan McKinnon, you've got Gabe Landeskog, you've got Miko Ranton, and like there are no shortage of options to put the puck in the back of the net, I think they can outscore that. The the worrisome thing for me is you're going with a rusty goalie as your backup in Pablo Francouz in Game 1, and then you're going to an even rustier goalie in Game 2 with your plan. I don't know that that sets up for success. I really don't. Yeah, you, I don't consider the goaltender rust factor uh, to be as nearly as impactful as the team itself. I think goaltenders can do so much work on their own uh, that uh, that they can get by that. The rest of it, uh, I... I the forwards, the defense, and the flow, and all uh, that comes with uh, with a National Hockey League game in the high intensity. Mm-hmm. I think there there is there, but uh, I'm, I'm discounting uh, the rust on the goaltending front uh, by and large because of that. But that that's what I would do. Francis the first game, Kemper the second, mm-hmm. almost like a pitching rotation. And then who gets game three? Well, it depends on what happens with the two games in Denver. But it's such a unique situation. That I would tell yeah. both guys, you're getting a game. Nobody's uh, got hurt feelings. Nobody's pouting around the team at a pivotal time uh, because both guys do want to play. Uh, Francis, he's unbeaten in these playoffs. 
He deserves yeah. uh, a look, although he's a little shaky, quite frankly, in that uh, last game against Edmonton. <laughs> and and Kemper's battled uh, the eye injury and the vision. Uh, he deserves to get back in there because he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, mm. let, let's see how they, they handle it. But uh, I think it'd be fascinating if you just went, you get game one, you get uh, game two, and then we'll figure it out. Uh, very uh, structured environment. The other, the other great matchup that uh, – that I'm looking at here is between the two head coaches. Uh, Jared Bednar and John Cooper are two of the great guys in our sport. Uh, Jared Bednar is an awesome dude. Humboldt, Saskatchewan, used to skidoo to school. Like He's just a cool dude. Uh, he's actually uh, uh, knows Shane 90 really well. And John Cooper is uh, is just salty. Like, I can... I've had him on the podcast a couple of times, and, and we end up going different places that, that I never expected to go. Just tons of fun. Both guys are not your typical uh, old-style hockey coach. Uh, they, they, can, they just have a lighter feel to them, except mm-hmm. Jared Bednar is, was not expected to be here, quite frankly. I'm not talking about last year, uh, that they might have made a change last year. But when he got the job with the the Colorado Avalanche, remember Patrick Wall walked away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the last minute? Mm-hmm. And what were the Colorado Avalanche going to do? They, they, they promoted this guy from the American Hockey League. I admit, I thought Bednar was a placeholder and wouldn't survive the year. Yeah. That year. It was such an yeah. uncomfortable, awkward a uh, very difficult situation to go into for a head coach and especially somebody that had never been a head coach in the National Hockey League before. And he's managed to make it work. And part of it is his style and his approach, his personality. It's amazing. On the other side is John Cooper, who is a two-time Stanley Cup champion, into his third final uh, in a row, uh, fourth final overall. John Cooper never intended to be a hockey coach. Mm-hmm. He's a lawyer and got uh, got worked into it through uh, the law community and said, hey, can you help out my uh, my kids' team? And, and, and did it that way. I, I won't go into the whole story, but like that was never his plan was to be mm-hmm. a hockey coach. Then he did mm-hmm. some junior, coached some junior hockey, and then – uh, was with the American Hockey League, won a championship there, and then got promoted uh, and, a, and a surprise promotion. Nobody knew who John Cooper was. And he's now looking for his third straight championship. These are very different routes to meet up against each other in a, in a Stanley Cup final. Uh, it, it's absolutely fascinating to me that Jared Bednar and John Cooper are opposing each other uh, in in this championship series, yeah, you know it's it's funny because it's you know the old adage that we we use a lot with with John Cooper and the Tampa Bay Lightning is that you know patience, right? Like there were there were ups, there were downs, and it could have been it it, w- it would have been real easy, right? After Tampa Bay missed the playoffs, it would have been real easy to make a change and move on from John Cooper, but. The, the Tampa Bay Lightning did not do that, and they are rewarded now with three straight Stanley Cup final appearances. And I think that, you know, your your point about 
Colorado in 1617, just using Jared Bednar as uh, a placeholder. And the the simple thing in that moment, or the most obvious thing in that moment, would have been, you know, let's just go out and find another coach. But the the virtue of, well, we're not all that close yet. We still have a young team. We still have a team that's progressing. We still have a team that can get better. Maybe it just doesn't make any sense to go out and get the guy behind the bench that's going to be able to take this team in the direction they need to when they're ready. And I think what you're seeing with Colorado is being patient, allowing Jared Bednar to grow up with a young team has worked out in their favor because not only did the players grow with Jared Bednar, but Jared Bednar's grown with the players as well. Bednar won a hockey championship in the ECHL. He won a championship in the AHL. And now he's Mm -hmm. in the Stanley Cup final. And you compare that to John Cooper, who won the title in the North American Hockey League, junior, uh, then uh, in the United States Hockey League, junior, a little, little bit higher, uh, in the AHL, and now the NHL. Like the, These guys have won growing up, coming up mm-hmm. through, through the ranks. But the idea of uh, what you talked about, patience with John Cooper, is well made that you could also go with Jared Bednar. I put the odds at better than 50-50 that he would have been on the outside looking in after last year's series against Vegas. Yeah. The way that team went out, uh, I thought Joe Sackick was going to make a change. Uh, this is all coming off like a, I'm, I'm not a better fan, and I am. I think he's he's great. But I, I did think he was a placeholder when he first came up. And I thought they were the, – the comments from the players last year were so striking. Mm-hmm. And had so much passion to them and so much emotion involved after that serious defeat against Vegas that I thought they were going to switch things up. They didn't. And uh, and both teams are now in a championship series. I think there's certainly times when you have to, have to make changes. Sure. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, I mean, I, I don't think this is the way to go for every team. But I think it's really interesting that both clubs come together at a, in a series where there was real speculation as to whether both coaches would have been let go uh, before they ever got to the stage. Yeah, and, and I think that you know you can kind of also see the parallels in, in that you know you, you have a coach growing with with a team, a coach that kind of understands. Maybe the core players, maybe what needs to happen, what you have to do to kind of pull the best out of certain players. Um, When you have that longevity, I think it becomes, it's equal parts hard and and easy to kind of pull those things out because it's hard because maybe the message is, is stale at times. Maybe you're just tired of hearing the same voice, but there are buttons that need to be pressed. And when you've been around a team for five, six years and you've You've been there for all the highs and the lows. I think that when when you pull that that last string or that final chord to get the most out of a player, it, it seems to resonate maybe a little bit more than than somebody that's in their first or second year with a core that's been through some ups and downs. Now they both uh, have uh, grown into incredible rosters too. Uh, the general yeah. managers uh, have done great work, and they also arrive here 
and it's the first time I remember this happening, where a Stanley Cup final will start where both teams are riding four-game win streaks. <laughs> Tampa won the final four games against the New York Rangers after falling behind 2-0. Yeah. Uh, and the Colorado Avalanche blitzed the Edmonton Oilers in a series sweep. You've, you've got two teams at the height of their performance. Not one team limping in, just getting by another club, but they're both feeling as confident as they possibly can going into the series start on Wednesday. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've you've got the, you know, I know that the Tampa Bay Lightning did not finish first in their division, but it was always going to go through Tampa Bay. I think we all can understand that even if they don't have the best record statistically in the regular season, they are still the team to beat come playoff time. And then you have Colorado, who put in another phenomenal regular season, finally get over the hump in the second round. And now you've got, I would argue, the two best teams in the league this year, hands down, meeting in the Stanley Cup final. Like This is the dream matchup for the for the, the National Hockey League. You've got great individual skill. You've got great teams. You've got storylines all over the place. You've got history in the making for Tampa. This is a great series, or at least it's shaping up to be so, and one that I think is really marketable for the NHL. Who is... Which roster do you think is more highly thought of if you take the championships away? Ooh, um... Colorado man, seems to have... really tough. Colorado seems to have more sexiness to it. With McCarr, with McKinnon. Cadre uh, this yeah. year. Taves. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I don't know. Like, to me, you're I talking love Stamkos and... You're talking Stamkos and Kucherov, and, and Nikita Kucherov is as good as they come, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Nikita Kucherov's – Nathan McKinnon's best season doesn't hold a candle to, Nate, to Nikita Kucherov's best season. It just doesn't, right? And, you know, like Kale McCarr maybe is the sexiest player in the series, and and that's, like, not that much or that big of a degree of a jump from Victor Hedman. Like, I, I get what you're saying, but if Braden points in the lineup, like if Braden Point plays, I think the argument can be made that 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 th- these two rosters are as equally talented as as they come. Like there's there's answers at every single position on both sides. It, it, there just are. Is this a better matchup than Edmonton, Colorado? <laughs> I guess you know the first four games of the series will tell us that. Um, I, I I sure hope so. Because um, we thought that I was going to go deep, I th- I thought Edmonton was going to go deep, but you know I, I I underestimated just how banged up the Edmonton Oilers were and how good the Colorado Avalanche can be at, at playing on the defensive side of the puck. Like that's been an Achilles' heel for this Colorado team. The the desire to hunt down more offense when they didn't need to do it, it opened them up to to teams coming back and and finding ways to hang in games. It wasn't there against the Edmonton Oilers. It was workmanlike. It was very, very strong from from that aspect for the Colorado Avalanche. Like I, I think that this should be, and who knows with me, but I think this should be a very even, even and competitive series. Like I don't think it's going to be decided in less than six games. I think we're getting six or seven. I think it's going to be a deep, 
deep series. Well, we'll see how much uh, Colorado can get by without uh, uh, Nazem Kadri and his buddy, uh, Colgano, uh, in the lineup. Uh, they, they both skated today. Uh, they skated without sticks. <laughs> I, I believe it would be uh, a risky proposition for the Avalanche to put them in the lineup if they can't grip sticks. Uh, hand injuries, uh, the situation there with uh, those two players. We know that the Tampa Bay Lightning can withstand losses to their lineup. Uh, Braden Point is the latest to be out, but uh, I think that he's going to be able to get in. Uh, if not uh, game number one, then it's certainly uh, at some point uh, early on in this series. But here's the thing with Tampa. They won without Stamkos two years ago. Mm-hmm. They got mm-hmm. in without Kucherov and then they, uh, during the regular season. And this year with Braden Point being out, their record is 8-2 and two yeah. without Braden Point. That's a yeah. staggeringly good mark for a key contributor for the defending Stanley Cup champions. Is this Tampa team the best team that they've had over these three years? I don't know. I I won't say it's the most talented team, but right. I can tell you it's winning in a way that I didn't think was possible for this group. Right. And that is to be able to grind it out every shift and just take advantage uh, when they get something. They don't need to win 6-4. They don't win, need right. to win 4-1. They're really happy to win two one and uh and it it's not the most talented, but it might be the most impressive from a from a hockey perspective. I think that they are the most intuitive Tampa Bay team that we've seen it is It is a team that recognizes early on what's needed, what's necessary, how they have to go about their business, and then they just go about their business. They they find the holes in the game of the opponent that they can exploit, and then they go about exploiting them. They they are, to me, one of those teams that you might get the upper hand early on, right? It might take them a game or two to kind of get their feet wet, to get themselves going. But once they feel like they've figured out an opponent, it's almost like good night, good Night. You saw it against the New York Rangers. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the case against Florida because Florida was bad. Uh, but you, you saw it against Toronto, right? Like there were there were key moments in Game Six and Seven where the Toronto Maple Leafs just had to make a couple of plays, and they were unable to do so because of Tampa Bay's ability to prevent it from happening. And you knew just a matter of time before Tampa would make the plays. Um, they are a team that is not afraid to make a mistake. And, and and this time of year, when you can play unafraid like that, it's it's a step up over your competition. Boy, the, uh, the patience is so impressive. We're going to take a break. Yeah. Uh, but before we do so, uh, we've got something to, uh, to give away. Uh, thanks to our friends over at Three Ice. They've got the big uh, uh, tournament coming up uh, this weekend over at the Orleans Center. It's three-on-three hockey. Uh, there's six teams with six skaters and, and a goaltender, and they're going to play a tournament uh, right on down to crowning a, a weekend winner. And then they take it all around North America, and they bring it back into Vegas for the championship uh, this weekend. So uh, we've got uh, some giveaways to uh, to hand out. 
Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, you know, we will uh, go ahead and do that right now. Caller number seven, Ooh. 702-876-1340. Caller number seven, you will win a pair of tickets to Three Ice. Three Ice, where it's uh, three-on-three hockey, uh, just like in overtime, but there's a couple of other funky rules that they put in place to make it even more energetic uh, and more uh, fascinating to watch. Uh, tough to keep up, but it's going to be just nonstop action with all these teams going through. So call it number seven, which represents uh, the number of players on each team. Six skaters, one goaltender, three-on-three style, and uh, making it happen this weekend with three ice over at the Orleans uh, Arena. Uh, looking forward to that. And uh, what, coming up next, it's one-timers. News notes from around the National Hockey League bringing up to date with what's happened in the last couple of days on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Maybe a two-on-one. Petrangelo gets it. He shoots. He scores. It's time for one-timers. One-timers. Short-handed goal. Alex Petrangelo. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insider Show. All right. The Edmonton Oilers have made it to the third round for the first time in the Connor McDavid era. And they're going to make some changes uh, to try and make sure that they can get over that most recent hump and get to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, and that change comes in goal. I don't think this is a big surprise. Uh, not talking about Mike Smith here, but Miko Koskinen has mm-hmm. uh, bolted the National Hockey League second time that he's actually left. Uh, he has uh, signed on uh, a, with uh, HC Forlunda and he is uh, gone overseas for a couple of years. Yeah. Surprise. No. no, no, but this does force the hand of Ken Holland to actually go out and find a goalie. Mm, there is a, a lot of uh, people that uh, expect and are on record as expecting that Mike Smith and Stuart Skinner will be the goaltending tandem for the Edmonton Oilers next oh. year. Except, Stop. except Mike Smith has not decided whether he's uh, going to play. They're... Uh, there's a, a th- way of thinking that Mike Smith will retire and uh, hang them up. Uh, now that that will put be putting Edmonton into a, a bit of a pickle. That their only goaltender would be Stuart Skinner, who has only played a handful of games. So if it's Stuart Skinner and somebody else, is that a better situation than Mike Smith and Stuart Skinner? And then I'll throw in Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen at the start of this year. Well, rank those three predicaments. Um, <laughs> who's like it depends on who the someone I know, else is. But right? there's not like, there's there's not a lot out there. Let's just put it that way. Okay, I would make the argument that Mark Andre Fleury and Stuart Skinner is better than any combination that includes Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. Period. Okay. Like, just it is what it is. Um, I don't know if, like, John Gibson was available and on the market. Like, I, I would take John Gibson and Stuart Skinner over literally any combination of Mike Smith, Stuart Skinner, and Miko Koskinen. Um, I don't understand how the Edmonton Oilers can look at what happened this year, look at what happened with Mike Smith in the last series where he was not particularly good, think that he's going to be even better next year when it's just not going to happen and say to yourself that's good enough yeah it's well, not was, good enough the the uh 
uh, overwhelming uh, report is that he was pretty beat up at the end. Uh, that he I, was uh, he was playing so much, Darren, and that's I, I he's know forty one years old. I know he was playing at a that's at a not pace getting that's, any better. Uh, that is uh, probably too much to ask uh, for Mike Smith. Um, we'll be uh, keeping an eye on that one because the Edmonton Oilers play in the same division as the Vegas Golden Knights, and uh, we'll mm -hmm. uh, watch with uh, with anticipation of which way they go because that will. Uh, be uh, impacting the competition for Vegas. Uh, we've got uh, a little bit of news on Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, he's been talked about mm -hmm. over and over and over from the Calgary Flames uh, angle. Again, a Pacific Division rival. No word yet where the Calgary Flames are going with this. Gaudreau is an unrestricted free agent, but a potential landing spot that could complicate any possibility of returning to Calgary is Boston if hmm. Patrice Bergeron does not return. Boston needs to fill in the uh, goal-scoring department and the point production, especially with uh, the injuries that they have uh, coming up uh, and the lack of uh, availability of somebody like Brad Marchand uh, at the start uh, of next year. So there's, uh, there's uh, watch going on with Bergeron, and if Bergeron tells Boston... He's not coming back. He's going to retire. Then Boston could be a huge player in the Johnny Gaudreau market. Others are the Philadelphia Flyers and potentially uh, the uh, the New York Islanders. So they, they would have to move some money up. So the fascinating part of this is, like, you, you want to respect Patrice Bergeron if you're the Boston Bruins, like you want to give him as much time as he needs to make a decision. But at what point do the Boston Bruins approach Patrice Bergeron and say, listen, here, th here are things that we have on the table. We need your answer now. Like, is it going to get well, to a point where Boston forces the decision for Patrice Bergeron? You ask that question and I can give you somewhat of an answer to it, <laughs> at least through the eyes of another team. The Edmonton Oilers have asked Mike Smith and Duncan Keith, who could possibly retire or not return next year, to tell them by July 1st. So we've got two and a half weeks uh, in there. Uh, for them to give the Oilers the idea of what they're going to do so the Oilers have time to react. It would be after the draft which there's a lot of movement, traits, uh, uh, but a lot of discussion there. So they're willing to give them, uh, uh, sorry, it would be just before the draft. Uh, July 7th and 8th is the National Hockey League draft. So Ken Holland would be able to go into the draft and free agency with all things aware when it comes to his roster. So I don't know whether that's the same with the Boston Bruins and Patrice Bergeron. But uh, that's the way the Edmonton Oilers are uh, handling things with two of their uh, question marks. Yeah, I just I wonder I wonder if Patrice Bergeron gets more leeway here. Like it's a massive decision, right? Especially for a player that isn't falling off. You know what I mean? Like you're talking yeah. about a, a guy that won his fifth Selkie for his campaign last season. Like you want to give him as much time as possible, but. If you're also weighing the option or looking to try to bring in, say, a Johnny Gaudreau, you, you need to have at least a decent amount of time to plan for all of those things. So I I don't know that 
if you're the Boston Bruins, you, you put any pressure on Patrice Bergeron because he's earned the right to make the decision on his own time, but you're kind of hamstrung until you know what he's going to do. How about somebody taking a run at him if he gets to free agency? At Bergeron? There's been this, there's been this mm-hmm. uh, feeling and a, a lot of uh, narrative from inside the Bergeron camp and the Boston Bruins that he'll only ever play for Boston. But I wouldn't be shocked if somebody threw some term at him trying to, to, to go down the stretch. I mean, if Patrice Bergeron hasn't uh, retired from the NHL and it's free agency, I'm making a call and like I'm putting my best says, offer Even if he says, I'm not forward. going back to Boston, I'm done, I need rest, he gets to free agency, I'm making that call to see if I can yeah. entice him. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, from the other end, uh, there's a top ten list uh, online of buyout candidates. Okay. On this list, Matt Murray of the Ottawa Senators, goaltender. What a wild, crazy <laughs> ride he's been on. Now, uh, he's two more seasons, 6.25 uh, million AAV. Oh. You spread that out over four years. I, honestly, where uh, Ottawa is right now, I wouldn't do it. I, I at least play for one more year because you're not in a situation where you're you're challenging for anything other than hopeful to get into a playoff spot. Uh, I, I would let that go. Mark Edward Vlasic has four more mm. seasons at seven mm-hmm. million. That yeah is definitely a bio candidate. But yeah, they don't have a general manager right now. <laughs> like, and, and, and now the talk is from uh, my buddy Elliot Friedman that they're down to uh, a very small list of candidates uh-huh. for that general manager's yeah. job. But how about you you get hired and then you're, one of the first things you have to look at is am I going to ha- buy out Mark Edward Vlasic? It's it's uh, just a terrible contract uh, hanging around that team right now. You the buyout well, the, the the cap charges would be mm-hmm. <laughs> spread out over uh, eight years. Eight years. You can't, but you, you can't make that decision until you know what's going to happen with Evander Kane's grievance. No. He, like, there, there isn't a team in the NHL right now that could be more negatively impacted from a cap perspective than the San Jose Sharks. Like, if, if they're on the hook for Evander Kane, if, if that ends up being a, a cap hit that stays on their books, they absolutely cannot buy out Mark Edward Vlasic. Well, you're right. And they, they just have can't. all these other contracts uh, yeah. going on as well. Well, you got to get in touch with somebody uh, that uh, that's trying to get to the floor, like we talked about oh, yeah. the other day. Uh, Jason yeah. Zucker is also on this list. One more season at 5.5 with the Pittsburgh Penguins. His uh, buyout charge would be for two years at $2 million and one point seven. And another player is Nick Foligno, who's got the, the back. Now, I, I mentioned some of these guys. Marco Scandella, uh, uh-huh. Zach Cassian. So, not that they're necessarily the same, but Tyler Johnson's uh, in this group. Philip Myers, a defenseman with the Nashville Predators. 
where this becomes interesting is players who are bought out instantly become great candidates to sign for bottom barrel prices somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not that uh, Jason Zucker is uh, like we're we're tracking the Pittsburgh Penguins. We we know Zucker because he's from here, uh, but where could he end up, and how does that shift the balance of power inside your division or head to head against you? That's the interesting, more interesting thing about the buyout window and why we should all pay attention to the the, the first buyout window and those candidates. Yeah, I mean, it, it, more often than not, uh, you'll see a buyout and there'll be a, a, a relatively cost-effective contract on the back end of that if the player's still a serviceable player. You, you bring up Jason Zucker, you bring up Tyler Johnson. Like, I would not be shocked or surprised if those players are bought out to, to see them land with a team that, that's on the, the cusp of contending or contending. Like, you know, you, you you know that there are going to be some holes to fill on some teams that are are looking to be Stanley Cup contenders. Like, look at Colorado. Like, are they going to have the money to re-sign Nazem Kadri? Probably not. Or is Kadri going to look to cash in on this season? Yeah, probably. Um, are there players that, that you can kind of get to fill that proxy a bit? Sure. And likely going to be a lot cheaper, too. So, um, and, 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 you know, the fact of the matter is, like, Tampa Bay will probably scoop up uh, two or three of them and find their, themselves back in the Stanley Cup final next year. So Tyler Johnson ends up back there. All right. Wouldn't uh, be surprised. Completes the circle. Like, Ryan Seward got yeah. a multi-year deal uh, after being bought out he by, was, the, by the Minnesota Wild. He was kind of the exception to yeah. what you'd expect the long Corey buyout, Perry, right? like, like, like those, those mm-hmm. type of players that, uh, that signed yeah. for uh, bottom barrel prices. I, I just, it, it's got the possibility, and everybody seems to be fascinated about the buyout window because teams and the re, uh, the, the spreading it out and how it affects teams going forward, like the wild are, are hamstrung uh, because of those buyouts. But the, the opportunity for other teams, they, they are watching that buyout window like uh, crazy, very intently to see who they can recruit. Uh, for under-market uh, value. I uh, just want to tell you, James Van Riemsdyk uh, scored a ton of goals last year, 24, uh, and he had a great second half of the season. Uh, he is also speculated uh, that uh, he won't make it through the, the last year of his contract with Philadelphia, but he makes $7 million. I'm not sure who can uh, hang on to that, but that's a situation where could you get JVR with Philadelphia holding on to some of that cash for one more year, uh, keep an eye on James Van Riemsdyk. Listen, um, I, to me, JVR lives in front of the net. And yeah. for the Golden Knights, that would be a super attractive option because you know you have your net front on the power play and you know that he can put the puck in the, in the back of the net in and around the goal. So that would be an attractive player from the Golden Knights' perspective. Three and a half million, though, that's, that's kind of too much to, to to surrender in cap space for a team that's already cash strapped like Vegas is. Although watch JVR when it comes to the trade deadline if he's not moved yeah. at the start of the yeah. season. 
It will take oh, half the point. salary uh, after the trade. Boom, uh, done. Uh, there's a lot of teams that were signed up for that. Uh, those are your one-timers brought to you by Paul Powell Law. More lawyer, less fee. Catching up with Chapman after a fun weekend next on Fox Sports Las Vegas. When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. Oh, Christopher. Hi, Darren. So something kind of cool happened over the weekend uh, in the world of motorsports. Daniel Suarez, born in Mexico, won the NASCAR race at Sonoma, thus making a trifecta of Mexican drivers, Mexican-born drivers, who have won in the three major motorsports organizations. Daniel Suarez winning in NASCAR, Pato Award winning in the IndyCar Series in Birmingham, Alabama earlier in the year. And just two weeks ago, Keiko Perez won the Formula One race in Monaco. It's the first time that I can find that that has happened where three drivers have won races that were foreign-born, so not American, in the three major sporting or motor racing series, which is which is kind of cool. And it's kind of interesting that it would be our neighbors to the south that would do that. With all the history in motorsports, Mario Andretti and and just a long history in Formula One, that it's the first time that, like I said, I can find that it's happened. There's only been five foreign-born drivers in NASCAR who've ever won a race. Suarez, Earl Ross, Canadian, he did his in 1974, Juan Pablo Montoya, Marcus Ambrose, and the aforementioned Mario Andretti. So uh, if you're a motorsports fan, history made over the weekend. Can we start this segment over? Why? Hey, Christopher. Hi, Darren. That drives Ryan bonkers. <laughs> I think he just tunes it out. Soup. Super awkward, like strange. It's the best. People <laughs> love more, it. <laughs> it's more. It's more on Chapman. Like, it's your segment. Just take control. You don't need Darren to set it up for you. Well, just, Christopher. Just go. I mean, he he is no. the he his you know he he's the host of the show. So I I like to I like when he introduces me. I think it's uh, it's kind of cool. Why do you like that, Ryan? Why do you have to be so hard on the guy? <laughs> I don't think he's being hard on me. I, I think he's. I I'm think not he's being, being hard, hard on, on him. When, 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 when you're, when you're not on the show, Darren, and it's time for catching up with Chapman. I you tell Chapman very specifically. No, no, he does not. No, no, no I absolutely don't. I, I, like it's your segment. Yeah, it's your segment. He's he's not a fan like, of the introductions. He, let me let me let me let me put it in terms you'd understand, Darren. <laughs> if I were setting up one timers, brought to you by Paul Powell. Yeah. It would be like me saying, it's one-timers. Darren, that's that's your segment. It'd be like, hey, everybody, it's time for one-timers, brought to you by Paul Powell. Here's Darren Millard with his one-timers. I wouldn't mind <laughs> an introduction. Weird. I would love no. an introduction. No, that's awkward. <laughs> you know what? Take Tomorrow, control of your own segments. Tomorrow, we're going to have an introduction. Well, I'm <laughs> not doing that. I'm not doing that. No, you've piqued my interest. I, I never oh, noticed boy. all these years. I didn't get this an introduction. This is why I don't talk during catching up with Chapman. Wow. Hey, Christopher. Yep. Hi, Darren. <laughs> Super ridiculous. <laughs> oh, we'll be back with you tomorrow to further tee up game one of the Stanley Cup final and bring you any potential coaching announcements at Fox Sports Las Vegas.